0: that you are one of the Hebrew people who's living in the land of Egypt. All of your life, all you've ever known is the, the toil and the labor of slavery there in the Egyptian deserts. And then a hero arises, his name is Moses, he's, he's, he's a Hebrew who is standing up to the Pharaoh who is who is pronouncing God's judgment upon the land of Egypt, and You flee with him and with all of your brothers and sisters and your family and extended family. And you're leaving the land of Egypt. In hot pursuit behind you is the Pharaoh and his army. And they are rushing and pressing down upon you as you come to the edge of the Red Sea. But God does this miraculous thing in which he splits the sea in two. And you come across on dry land. He covers the Egyptian army behind you and they are swept under the sea. As you come across to the other side of Sinai you you wander through the wilderness and you come to the edge of this land that that same God has promised for you a land that's flowing with milk and honey you send spies in and you say it is, it is the land that's flowing with milk and honey it's everything that God promised that it would be but you all decide that you can't go in because there are giants that live there there're scary things you're you're not believing God's promise. Only Joshua and Caleb said we should go. And so because of that, your generation is doomed to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You're complaining about the things that you don't have. We don't have any water. You're complaining about the things that you do have. I don't like this manna, getting tired of eating the manna. All the while, God is still with you. His presence is with you in a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. He brings your children back to the edge of that promised land. And Joshua brings them across the Jordan into the land because they believed in God's promise. But you missed out on experiencing the blessing of his promise. You won't enter into the land. And that's because our belief matters. Our belief matters. Our trust matters. Our faith matters. So, the warning today in this passage of Scripture is that we would watch out. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to continue our series through the book of Hebrews. It's called A Better Hope. And today we're going to see a better belief in Hebrews chapter 3 in verse 7. The word of God says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses, with whom... Was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Thank you, you may be seated. They were not able to enter because of unbelief. So the action step for us today as we take this word from God and apply it into our hearts in 2022, the action step for today is to watch out. We're going to watch out today. And as we think about watch out, there are two applications that we're going to see in this passage of Scripture that we're going to examine our belief personally and we're going to encourage others' beliefs communally. And so we begin by examining our belief, and and the passage that we are studying this morning, it it begins with a reference to the Old Testament. It begins with this story of the wilderness generation, and it ends with another reference to that same generation. And so this passage has at the beginning and in the end this reference to this particular generation that wandered in the wilderness. And in the middle of it, in verses 12 and 13, we find the application of the story In verse 12, we're told, watch out, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, verses 12 and verse 19 serve as as bookends in this section. There's repetition of some key words there that that shows us the the message of, of what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey, He uses in verse 12 the the Greek verb there, blepo, which means to see. In our translation here, he says in verse 12 to watch out. That's the word, blepo, watch out, to see. In some translations it says see to it. And so it's, it's this idea that you are paying careful attention, that you are looking, that you are seeing. And we find it repeated in verse 19 where he says, so we see. And so you have these bookends here. Where he's telling us to look, to examine ourselves, to watch out, to see to it. And what is it that we are supposed to be paying attention to? What is it that we are to see to? What is it that we are to watch out for? It's unbelief. You find that word repeated again in verses 12 and in verse 19. In verse 12 we're told to watch out so there won't be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart. In verse 19, we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Because of unbelief. And so you find the repetition of these words, and that's that's what the author of Hebrews is is directing our attention to, paying attention to unbelief. He uses the, the word there, apostia, which is translated as unbelief. It also means to be faithless, to lack faith, to not trust God. Do not believe in the promise of God. And so the, the reference here is to this wilderness generation, the one that fled from Egypt, that was headed to the promised land. The verses here at the beginning, verses 7 down through verse 11, they're, they're a quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm chapter 95, where the psalmist is retelling this story that happened back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus in chapter 17, as they had crossed over into the promised land, or crossed over into uh, Sinai and were headed to the promised land. And at the end of the section in Exodus 17 and verse 7, this is what the Word of God says He named the place there Masah and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That was the question that these people had. Is the Lord with us? We've left Egypt. We've crossed over the Red Sea. Here we are out in this desert place. Is God with us here? We don't see him. We can't touch him. We can't smell him. We can't taste. We can't, we can't feel. What is God with us? And so what was the great sin of the people in that passage of Scripture? Was it that they were thirsty in the desert? No. It was that they didn't believe God. They didn't believe him. They didn't have faith that God would provide. This same God who had just split the Red Sea, this same God who had just delivered the people from Pharaoh and his army, this same God who's providing manna for the people, this same God who had already provided water for them, before. If you go back just a few chapters prior to Exodus chapter 17 and to Exodus chapter 15, this is what happens in verse 22. Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. They went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. So they came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That's why it was named Marah. It means bitter. So the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it in the water, the water became drinkable. So the Lord made a statute and an ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you'll carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. And this is literally right before chapter 17, where they're grumbling and complaining that there's no water. This is about belief. It's about believing that that God will, will be God, that God will do what he says, that he'll keep his word. And I want you to remember the occasion for letter to the Hebrews these are Jewish background Christians that are thinking about returning back to Judaism and so the author of Hebrews is warning his hearers not to be like their forefathers who when put in this current position chose to harden their hearts and not believe in God who wanted to turn back from what God had for them and to go back to Egypt. They wanted to turn back from a land of blessing into a life of slavery. And they were choosing these these momentary comforts, these things that they could see and smell and touch. They didn't trust God's word. They didn't trust his promise. They didn't trust in his presence for them. And these Hebrew Christians were doing the exact same thing. They didn't trust God's word. They didn't believe his promise, and they wanted to turn back from God's blessings in Christ to a life of slavery, to sin, and to works. Thomas Fuller says that he does not believe who does not live according to his belief. That's what the problem was. They did They weren't weren't expressing belief, they weren't expressing faith in God. And this warning is applicable for us today because God is still speaking. God speaks to us just like there were probably people gathered with that early church, people that were not believers yet but that were maybe wondering, should I trust in this Jesus as Savior or not? And he's saying to you, you need to trust in Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Are you going to believe him? John tells us in his gospel, John 20 verse 31, these stories are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you would have life in his name. And so there are people here in the room, people that are watching online, who are at this point saying, should I believe, should I trust in Christ? Should I call on him as Savior and as Lord over my life? And the, question, and the answer is, you have to believe today. But there are others that the author of Hebrews is speaking to in this early church that are struggling with believing God and following after him. They're Christians. They have put their faith in Christ, but, but they're struggling in believing in the day-to-day and following after God. And there are some today in this room who are in the very same boat where God is speaking to you. And he's saying, trust me with your future. Are you going to believe him? He's saying to you, trust me with raising your family. Are you going to believe him? He's saying to you, trust me in your current circumstances. Are you going to believe him? Who's saying, trust me with your finances? Are you going to believe him? Who's saying, trust me with that problem and and with your worries. And are you going to believe him? It's like the man who came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says to this man, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And so immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's how some of us are, right? Right? We're we're Christians, we believe, but it's like, God, help my unbelief. I need your help to believe. I, I need you to give me greater faith, God. I mean, that was the thing that Jesus said to his disciples on several occasions. Where something would happen, he would say, oh, you of little faith. And they believed. I mean, they were literally following Jesus. I mean, they believed him, but they were lacking in faith. They were lacking in trust in the day-to-day. And so when you face your trial, are you going to have faith? Are you going to believe? Or are you going to harden your hearts and try the Lord, like what he's warning against in this passage? And so the action step is that we would watch out in our personal belief, our personal faith in God. But there's a second part to this warning here in verse 13, there's a personal, in verse 12, if any of you, he says. So it's personal. But in verse 13, he's talking about one another. He's, he's talking about that we would encourage others' belief. Encourage each other daily, he says, while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Now, the Greek verb that's translated here as encourage is, is the word parakaleo, which literally means to, to call alongside. And so it's, it's when you're encouraging someone, you're like, come on alongside with me. Let's, let's go do this together. Come on alongside. Is the idea that you would encourage one another in your walk with God, that you would push one another on in your faith and, 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 and in your belief. But the word parakaleo in the noun form is the word paraklete which is the word for the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He encourages us to godliness. But I want you to understand that part of that encouragement is challenge. It's conviction. It's The same thing is understood here in this command that we would encourage each other daily. It's not just that we would, you know, send cards and and text messages saying nice things to one another and say hey you're doing a really good job now certainly we ought to encourage one another if we see Christ in them and say hey I see Christ in you that's awesome but part of encourage is to encourage them to be better is to hold them accountable and what is it that we're to encourage one another in? It's the same thing that we are to examine in ourselves. It's belief, to encourage one another in our belief. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage, he uses the same word there, Encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. It's the same idea that's found in Proverbs 27, 17 where it says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that that we would, by rubbing against one another, we we would sharpen one another, make each other better. And so there's this personal aspect to our faith, but there is a communal aspect to our faith. That's why God calls for us to gather together to worship that we can build one another's faith and inspire one another's faith. Like I'm in a Facebook group with a bunch of pastors, and and every Sunday evening I'll write in that group, what's something awesome that God did at your church today? And I get to hear ways that God has been moving in churches all across the country, all throughout the day, and you know what it does? It encourages me. Well, it just fills me up or I'm part of a of a text group with a bunch of guys and and we'll text each other and say hey you should read this or will you pray for me in this or you should hear this worship song and it'll it'll get you going today and you know what those texts do when I get them it encourages me it fills me up same thing when I get together with our pastors on Monday morning for staff meeting, and and we come into the room together. The very first thing that we do on Monday morning is we pray for one another. It encourages me, builds up my faith. That's the function of a D group and our discipleship journey. You see that map out there on the wall as you come into the atrium. That, that D group is to provide accountability in your walk with God, that there would be encouragement in your faith, that you would have brothers or sisters that are going to encourage you and challenge you and inspire you. They're going to call you out. They're going to build you up. And, and that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says to encourage one another. Why is it? He says so that you won't fall prey to sin's deception. And sin can deceive us more easily when we're by ourselves, but it's a lot more difficult when we got a community around us, when you're not alone in the journey, when knowing that someone has your back. So we have to watch out for one another. Don't allow your spouse to fall in their walk with God. Don't allow your child to fall in their walk with God. Don't allow your friend to fall in their walk with God. Don't allow that person in your connect group to to fall in their walk with God. Pray for them. Encourage them. Love them. Pursue them. He says, see to it that we don't provoke the wrath of God like this wilderness generation did. And so there's an urgency in these instructions I hope you picked up on that as you were reading through this passage this morning that that today is the day to believe it's repeated all the way through it in verse 7 he says today if you hear his voice in verse 13 as long as it's still called today in verse 15 today if you hear his voice so there's this urgency about it that you need to believe today We need to say enough of this someday I'm going to change stuff. Or I I know I shouldn't be doing this, but we can't be tolerant and okay with dirt and sin in our lives. To know what we should do and to not do it is sinful. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, It's sin to know the good and yet not to do it. To hear God's voice and to not obey it is unbelief. It's unbelief. And there are consequences for unbelief. I mean, the Bible's clear from Genesis to Revelation that unbelief results in God's punishment. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because of unbelief. In Revelation, these unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire because of unbelief. And so there's real consequences here for unbelief. And those consequences can be temporal and they can be eternal. And that's part of the difficulty in interpreting this passage. Hebrews is a difficult book. We said that from the very beginning of this series, that that there's in-depth, long arguments that he's making, and it's difficult to understand at times. And when you read this passage, you go, well, what does the author of Hebrews mean when he says that they'll not enter into his rest? What does he mean by comparing them to this wilderness generation? There's different schools of thought as people try to understand it. There are some that believe that he's speaking to Christians and that they lose their salvation and they're not allowed to enter into the promised land. I mean, there there are certain denominations that believe that you can lose your salvation and they point to a passage like this as their argument. But we believe that the Bible's very clear that God saves us and he secures us when we are saved and we can't lose our salvation. That that's what the Bible teaches. And so there are others then that believe therefore that he's speaking to people that really must not have been saved to begin with and that's why they're not gonna enter into his rest and they say okay, we don't believe that you can lose salvation so these people must not have really been saved to begin with and that's why they're falling away. Well, that obviously solves the problem of not entering the rest, but it it doesn't take into account the language that's used to describe these people that sounds a lot like they're saved. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 3 in verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession." It sounds a lot like he's talking to Christians. In verse 14 of our passage, he says, we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. What did they have at the start? Faith. Belief. That's what he's talking about all through the passage. So then what is the author of Hebrews talking about when he says that they're not going to enter into the rest and he's comparing them to this wilderness generation? He's talking about sanctification and not salvation. In other words, he's not suggesting that you're not going to enter, meaning that you're not going to be saved. He's saying that you're not going to enter, meaning that you're not going to experience God's blessing and grow in your faith. So if you're a true believer in Christ, there's not any fear of losing your salvation. If you're genuinely saved, you're secure in the hands of God. And so you need not fear your eternal life, but what's in jeopardy here is abundant life. You can miss out on the blessings of God and the benefits of living for God because there are temporal consequences for unbelief. All throughout the Bible, we see God saying, if you stay here in this circle of of obedience and following after me, I will bless this. But I'm not going to bless that. Right? We see this all throughout the scriptures. If you do this, if you follow me, if you trust me, believe me, I'm going to bless this. But if you go here, if if you do this, I'm not going to bless that. I will bless this, I will curse that. I will bless this, I will punish that. And what these Hebrew Christians have said is, I'm gonna live over there. And God says, then you're not gonna receive my blessings. Let me give you some examples. Ask Jonah what it's like when you run from God. He was swallowed up by a great fish for three days and nights. Ask David what happens when you allow sin into your life. He lost a son with Bathsheba. Ask Moses what happens when you sin. He saw the promised land from the top of Pisgah, but was buried outside of Canaan. And so you you miss out on God's promises and God's blessing in life. Because if we were to say, that this wilderness generation is disqualified from being God's people because of their unbelief, because they didn't enter into the promised land, then we also have to say Moses isn't going to be in heaven either because he didn't go into the promised land. And so this wilderness generation didn't cease to be the people of God. They failed to enter the rest that God promised for them on this earth. They missed out on the blessings of the covenant that he made with them. If you go to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find this same generation being referred to again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he's speaking about this wilderness generation. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. As who? Who's he talking to? New Testament church, right? And he says about them that they ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? Christ. Their faith was in God's promise and a Messiah. They didn't know his name yet. It was in Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. He says, we need to learn from this generation. We need to learn from them. And I want you to consider this morning in your heart that some of us may be missing out on God's blessings right now because of unbelief. Un- there are consequences for unbelief. Did you ever consider that God has, has great plans for your life that you miss Because you don't believe him. That there are blessings that God desires to give you, but you miss them because you don't trust him. There are consequences that you're going to live with because of sin and because of unbelief. There are things that God wants to do in your life that you're missing out on because you won't take a step of faith and to follow after him. Now, these things don't have any bearing on your eternal salvation, but they do affect the abundant life that God desires for us to have. And so if you're a true believer in Christ, there's no fear of of eternal punishment. But if you're not a true believer in Christ today, then there is a real fear of eternal consequences here for unbelief. Abundant life is the least of your worries. We're talking about eternal life under God's judgment. And so you're missing out on the greatest promise of God, which is salvation in Christ because of your unbelief. You're missing out on a final rest that we're going to talk about next week because of unbelief. You're missing out on heaven because of unbelief. You're missing out on a relationship with your creator because of unbelief. You're missing out on everything because of unbelief. And so the action step for us is that we would watch out. We'd watch out. And so this morning there may be some that need to watch out, that you don't miss out on a relationship with God. God sent us his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. He was raised from the dead on the third day so that we could have life and victory and salvation and forgiveness. And it can be realized in your heart today if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so if that's a decision that you need to make in your heart today, I want to encourage you to come. There's going to be leaders here at the front at the, at the, in just a moment when we're going to stand, we're going to sing. And this is your opportunity to come and to say, I believe, I want to follow after Jesus today. Christians, this morning, you need to watch out as well. If you're a Christian, and we're not talking about losing your salvation, we're not talking about missing heaven, what we're talking about is missing out on God's blessings in your life. When God has said, This is what I will bless, and you're living out over here, where He said He will punish and that there will be consequences, you're missing out on, on God's goodness. So watch out in your personal belief. Watch out for one another and encourage one another. Don't miss God's blessings in your heart because of a lack of faith. And so maybe you want to spend some time this morning in prayer during this invitation. Here at this altar, there at your seat, praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, like that man said to Jesus that one day. Asking God to examine your heart, where is it that I'm lacking faith? Where is it that I'm not trusting you? Where is it that I need to to express belief? To lay those things to him. To grab someone that that you love and say, man, let me pray for you right now that the Lord would encourage you in your belief and be with you during this time. But however God is speaking to your heart, now is the time that we'd be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we come before you today thanking you for your word. Lord, for how you speak to us in your word. And Lord, just as you warned us in your word to learn and to to learn from the example of this generation, may we not be a people who are found to be lacking in faith, who would not come to the edge of your blessing and your goodness and to turn back. And so God, if there are areas of our life where we're struggling to trust you, to believe you, to follow you, God, I pray today that you would increase our faith, that you would help our unbelief, God, that we would be obedient and faithful unto you. God, if there are those here this morning that have never trusted in Christ, they have never believed on him for salvation, Lord, that today would be the day that they would believe in Christ and be born again. God, we pray that you would move in our hearts during this time. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.